0: Rosie on the house, every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Come on around back Arizona, it's Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, Rosie on the house, your Saturday morning tradition since 1988. Here the first of our three hour broadcasts, 8 o'clock hour, we call it our outdoor living hour, already the third Saturday of the month, so we've got Jay Harper in studio with us and over the last couple uh weeks we've had questions and you've heard us briefly touching on preparing and coming up for overseeding but this is it today is the time
1: we used to back in the day um the county extension agents uh, guys named Boyce foreman and lowell true would always say october 15th was the magic day for overseeding i and i if anything, it's probably a little later than that now because it was, I think it was a little cooler back then. But uh, that was kind of when, if you look at temperature highs and lows, you know, our low nighttime temperatures kind of started settling in the mid-60s. And that's really more important than how hot it is during the day because what we don't want to happen is that our Bermudagrass, our hybrid Bermudagrass, warm season... Lawn, we we want it to stay dormant. If we scalp and it's still too warm at night, then that Bermuda grass is going to come right back. Especially if we put seed and fertilizer and water and everything, and throw a bunch of water to it, it'll it'll come back with a vengeance. So, the happy sweet spot for all of this is to when it's still warm enough during the day that that seed's going to germinate rather quickly. And yet, cool enough at night that the Bermuda grass, the underlying warm season lawn that we're overseeding, will stay relatively dormant at least and not come back.
0: And for anybody that's doing both a summer and winter lawn, for that Bermuda, they should have started up to this point. If they're just tuning in, just moved to Arizona, or just, just now finally getting motivated to start doing it, what should have happened up to this point?
1: Well, you know, probably about the middle of September, so a month ago, let's just say, you, you could have perhaps started lowering your mowing height on your mower a little bit each week um, so that you don't have quite so much uh, top growth to take off at one time now. And probably maybe just slightly cutting back on the water and then maybe three or four days, maybe up to a week before you overseed, turn your water off. It's just so much easier to. So what we're gonna do, the first thing we're gonna do is go in and take that lawn. We're not gonna scalp it. Back in the old days, we used to say, take it right down to the dirt as low as you, low as you can get it. We wanna take it down low enough that the seed that we're gonna put on is gonna fall through the remaining canopy of the grass and get to the soil. We don't want it getting hung up in the old leaves and thatch of the grass and trying to root up in that. But we want to do as little damage to that lawn as we can. So you should be able to look, when you're done, look down and see the, see the ground, but there should be some, some stubbly thatch left there when you're done. So in order to do all that, if, if you've lowered your lowing height on your mower weekly for the last three or four weeks, you would have less to do because um, you got to bag all this stuff up <laughs> and put it out on the curb or haul it off or do whatever or use it as compost, I suppose. Um, also, if it's dry, it's just, a it, you know, it's dustier. Um, you know, it, it might cause your allergies some fits. But if it's damp or wet, it's really hard for that blade to get the cut right to scalp it and, uh, and it's hard to do. So anyway, lowering the mowing heights, cutting back on the water slightly, if nothing else, just turn it off a few days before. You know, when it's in the 90s and you turn it off a couple of days before, it's going to be pretty dry in two or three days.
0: It doesn't take long when we still get those 90 days, right. 90 degree days. Right. If I didn't do all that, like you said, it's just more to do now, but I can still do it now.
1: And you don't have to do it all. In, I mean, you still have plenty of time. If you want to do this and start now and do it a couple of weeks from now, you, you'd just be fine. Um, I used to try and have mine so that the lawn was up, the new lawn, the winter lawn, was up, and I'd mowed it at least once before the trick-or-treaters walked across it. Um, because, you know, if you've got a brand new lawn and it's still really wet and you're watering it and trying to get it to come up and you've got all these little goblins walking across <laughs> your grass, you know, it's not the best thing in the world for it. Plus it gets them all wet and, and uh, possibly, hopefully cold <laughs> by then, but who knows. But that being said, Chaparral Park, or Indian School Park, excuse me, Indian School Park in Scottsdale has you know the Scottsdale has the fall well the whole valley I guess has fall baseball fall league so those they play through October so they never overseeded those fields until the fall league was done so after the first of November and they came up just fine so I would say you realistically have you know until probably the middle of November even Halloween Thanksgiving excuse me uh, to do this and do it in a timely fashion, so don't panic if you're hearing this and go, "Oh man, I'm too late," or "I got to do all this in one time." You still could do it and do just what we talked about and do it over the next few weeks and maybe do it uh, Halloween weekend or you know whatever that day falls on, but that first week in November or something. Yeah,
0: my kids are ready for it now. The way our lawn is situated and the way our mulberry trees are growing everything that's been shaded all year long by the mulberry last year's rye grass is up it's come back so our lawn has bermuda on the north side and all the rye from last year on the south side like let's get let's get it all reseeded we get get the fun grass up not the itchy grass
1: Uh, there you go yeah (laughs) yeah so we could get into a whole philosophical discussion of you know there's going to be people that hear this that why are you planting winter lawns? And I know the city's trying to discourage people planting winter lawns. I guess if I had to make a call between the two, I'd plant a winter lawn and not worry so much about the summer lawn. It's much nicer grass. The kids like it better. It's softer. It doesn't itch. You know, um, you're way more liable to be out using the lawn in from November to April than we are from may to september so i think there's a lot of argument that can be made that really the winter lawn is is, should be our lawn of preference
0: and how much time do we spend when we're trying to kill off bermuda for different things that you know if we didn't have that bermuda at all we were just doing the perennial rye you wouldn't have to come back with those chemicals to try and kill it off or combat it or constantly be treated if it's crying. into the, your beds and <clears throat> things like that. Or even just conversions. I don't know if you happen to notice when you pulled into the studio, but all the medians that used to be lawn. Yes. This summer they ripped out the Bermuda, put landscape felt down, and then put rock on top. All they did was just scratch the Bermuda. and Here we are three, four months later. Every single little crack and crevice has Bermuda there. grass coming out of it.
1: <laughs> Bermuda grass growing in <laughs> rock that we got to try now to get rid of.
0: Well, and in between it, they did like lantanas and different, you know, in between each palm tree, a different type of plant. Well, they can't go back and spray that now without killing everything they just planted. True. Yeah. So if they hadn't done the Bermuda at all, and <laughs> just.
1: Well, that was a, you know, that little two foot wide strip of grass for, <clears throat> shoot, 600, 800 feet, 1,000 feet was silly to begin. I mean, I would have hated to have been the guy having to mow that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but even just taking that into the residential backyard, you know, a lot of times we're ripping Bermudas out. And it's such a, a process to do it and do it right. And it takes a lot of chemicals. If you were just doing Jay's thing of just doing your winter rise uh, and not worrying about a Bermuda, you wouldn't have that much. You know, to, Much to easier to up. get
1: rid of if you decide you don't want a lawn anymore right. than Bermuda grass. Yep, absolutely.
0: Now, you may have time to still plant it over the next couple weeks, but you should probably get your seed now. You're probably uh, running point. out of time to get get secure your seed. Good point. I, I don't
1: know what the situation this year is, but I believe it was last year. It was very short supply, um, and. Once guys run out, it's not like they reorder because once they're done selling it for this season, they're done for the year. So, yeah, if you, I mean, you take a measurement, go down to the local garden store and tell them how many square feet you have. They can tell you how much seed you need. And the seed isn't going to go bad in a month or even a year or two as long as you keep it dry.
0: And from what I understand, all that seed is cut and comes down from Oregon. Right. Most, most all of it's Oregon grown. And is that their winter grass that we're bringing down here for our summer lawn?
1: (laughs) So the ryegrass in Oregon would live year-round.
0: Okay. Typically.
1: So, I mean, they don't get hot enough in most places in Oregon to stress it out too badly. So it's a crop, though, in those areas, and they let it get big. They don't mow it. They let it get big so that it forms a seed head, and then they— Literally, it's like a little mini wheat field out there. And <laughs> they go through and harvest the seed off the top of that
0: grass plant. And dry it out and ship it down right. here. Correct. <clears throat> now, when you're saying uh, the nursery will tell you, based on your square foot, how many bags you need, still buy extra. You know, whether it's an extra pound, extra three pounds, depending on how big of lawn you have. Because there's always that one little area that doesn't come in or... The dog or something goes and scratches, and
1: and then if you try and go find seed and can't find it, you you got a bare spot you're living with. So ryegrasses don't uh, don't spread and fill in like Bermuda grasses do. Basically, they're they're a, you know they're not a stoloniferous grass. So you get a grass plant where you have a seed, and you know it gets a little bigger than that. It's it you know it does fill out, but. It, it's not like if you got a Bermuda grass lawn and you got a, you know, a divot on a golf course or, you know, a dead spot, it will creep and send runners and, you know, and stolons and itself run, fill itself back in and ryegrass won't do that. So that's a great point. Have some extra seed.
0: It's good to touch the green, green grass of home. In studio with Jay Harper going through the overseeding process if you're planning on putting in a winter rye lawn beautiful lawn uh as we talked about in the last segment uh not an itchy lawn like bermuda is and you're a lot more uh prone to be out there on the lawn this time of year than you were all summer long uh, so it's a great great option for uh homeowners especially if you've got kids or dogs pets it, i always said i would never have a lawn but I mean, that changed real quick once once the kids came. It was pretty evident <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that <You're>, was— <laughs> You don't want them out in the street playing, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> and we don't have any nearby park by us, so it's you know it just a five-acre dirt plot wasn't going to be realistic for the kids.
1: You know, plus if you've got dogs especially in that dead grass, dirt, you know, it's— the ryegrass can be a little greeny, stainy sometimes, but it's a whole lot cleaner— than you know the alternative and keeps the dust down. You know, and so if somebody didn't want to plant a winter light, just don't want to do it. They don't they can't afford it, maybe. They don't want to spend the money on water. You could keep your Bermuda grass green, pretty green, probably until almost Christmas by fertilizing it again, making sure it's getting enough water. Doesn't need as much water as the summertime. Um, but just give it enough extra care um, you know, it will, it will stay green depending on the weather, but it'll stay green till then. And then, you know, probably in March you can get it to green back up a little quicker by, again, watering it, fertilizing it. So you're going to have, you know, January and February and maybe
0: some or all of
1: March that you'd have a dormant lawn if you didn't plant a winter lawn.
0: So that could be another strategy. And the amount of time you're talking down there, you know, three, four months— isn't that much longer than what you're down in your two seasonal transitions anyway? Because when you put your overseed down, you got to stay off a couple of weeks till it comes up. And- true, true. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, you know, it, uh, again, um,
1: if I had to make a choice between the lawns, I'm going to be- enjoy my winter lawn in 75-degree temperatures a whole lot more outside <laughs> than I am my summer lawn when it's 110.
0: So. No, no question about it. Now, once the rye is established, is there a different fertilizing schedule? Is there a different fertilizing type? Is there a different volume of water? I know from hearing you over the years, you always talked about a tuna can uh, on the lawn. You should fill it up about an inch, and that's your Bermuda measure. Does that work for the rye? So
1: let's talk about established. So, you know, once the rye grass starts to germinate and it grows up and it— you know, kind of watch it because it'll sneak up on you. But when it gets looks like it's tall enough to mow, you need to mow it, um, which means you need to kind of turn tune the water back a little bit too because you don't want to go out there and mow it. And we should talk. We, we skipped this. So did you get the grass to germinate? You know, we're going we're gonna to scalp our lawn. We talked about that. Get it down. So the seed, we're going to put the appropriate amount of seed on, which is, you know, somewhere around 10 pounds of seed per 1,000 square feet. Then you might choose to put, you know, some type of organic seed cover product on there. That will help keep the seed more moist, more evenly moist. Um, also, it keeps the birds from getting any more than they're already going to get. And then we're going to water it, and we're going to water it a lot. So it's going to take, you know, if you have a timer on your irrigation system, I would water it a minimum of three times a day. Four or five is probably better. And I like to pack those watering times oh from nine thirty or ten o'clock in the morning as the first one, and then I don't like to water much after two thirty or three o'clock in the afternoon. Because it you know it's gonna once it's wet at three o'clock, it's gonna stay wet. So you pack those watering and, and we're talking about three, four, five, six, seven minutes maybe watering. We don't want to create any big puddles, pools, and you know, ponds, the seeds. Relocate the seeds, stay too wet, stay too cool, you know. You know so um, short, quick waterings very frequently in, in the hot part of the day. So once it's up and it looks like it needs mowed, now we're back to where I started. Um, we had to cut that water back, you know, instead of three or four or five, six times a day, down to maybe once or twice a day. Give it, a, give it a mowing, maybe, maybe even turn it off for a day let it, or that day in the morning so that you can get on there and mow it without you know leaving big you know footprints and divots and wheel marks in the wet lawn. Get it mowed. Then you might have you then probably once a day after the first mowing is plenty. you might instead of three or four or five minutes go to five or ten minutes, but just once. but just once. Then your second mowing, again, when it looks like it's needing mowed, mow it again. Then you should be able to go to probably every other day or two or three times a week, provided we don't have adequate winter moisture. There have been plenty of winters where you didn't need to water a winter lawn, maybe from Thanksgiving or Christmas till the spring. So depending on how much rain we get. Fertilizer... After the second mowing, I really recommend giving it, you know, a feeding. And then about every four to six weeks after that, ideally, you'd want to fertilize it.
0: And when you keep saying when it looks like it's ready to mow, we let our rye grow taller than Mm -hmm. uh, the Bermuda. It it just feels good to walk in it. You know, we like like to let it get two or three inches tall. Pick your height.
1: I mean, it's okay to let it get even taller than that. But you gotta remember when you mow it, you never wanna cut more than about a third of the length of the blade of grass off. So if you're gonna have a two or two and a half inch lawn, that's fine, but don't, don't let it get five or six inches and then mow it down to two and a half inches.
0: through the hour now with Jay Harper. We covered overseeding your lawn pretty extensively. Uh, from there, you know, it's still not too late to get fall gardening. In fact, uh, this is probably the, a better time to start fall gardening because it, it, our temperatures are a little cooler. It's a little more enjoyable being out there getting our garden beds well, prepped.
1: quite frankly, I haven't planted any of my winter vegetables yet. I've gotten the soil ready, gotten the irrigation system tweaked, and it's ready to go but it seemed like I was just getting ready to plant and it was going to be 100 degrees again. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I'll probably wait till next week or so because it looks like it's going to cool off pretty significantly, which is great. But that's the beautiful thing about our winter vegetable season. It's very long, and you don't have to do it all at once. In fact, I would encourage you to do it in phases so that, you just take leaf lettuce, for instance, so that you don't have more leaf lettuce than the whole neighbor could, can eat at one time. You have a little bit, and then you know maybe two or three weeks later, you got another little crop coming on, and then so on and so forth. Because our, our winter vegetables are leafy greens, so anything as the name implies that you eat the leaf of. And then things like root crops, so carrots, beets, radishes, turnips— Um, And then things that we eat, kind of the modified stem of, you know, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, uh, cauliflower, um, those types of things are, are what we plant as cool season or winter vegetables. Not to say you can't plant a tomato or a pepper. You can if you've got a protected spot and you can keep it warm. I just don't. It's not for everybody and I don't necessarily advocate it. But that's fine if you want to try it. Something like a greenhouse type, somewhere you can get it out of the. Yeah, if your garden's on the south side of the house, up against the house, is protected, and you could maybe protect it for a few nights later in the winter if we're going to get cold, that sort of thing. You know, ideally in a container on a sunny, warm patio underneath cover or something would be perfect. But uh, greenhouse, if you got a greenhouse, then you don't have to worry about seasons at all. You kind of control your own seasons. But um, yeah, so leafy greens, root crops, what we call coal crops, you know, the broccoli, Brussels sprouts, those things. Um, and you can have, depending on how much space you have, you, know, you can have s- small uh, timed crops coming on so that you have literally those crops harvestable from mid to late October until frankly it gets hot you know april or may
0: now i have never had very good luck with artichokes but i understand those do very well and you can actually make uh like a, a hedgerow with them you don't have to necessarily row garden you could use it for a- it's actually a pretty ornamental plant it's very gray silvery
1: big kind of a lacy leafed looking it's a thistle so, if you can think of what a thistle looks like in your mind, that's what an artichoke plant looks like. And the flower, and the, the, you eat the bud of the flower, is what you're eating. But the actual flower is pretty if you don't want to harvest them all and let some of them bloom out. But they get big, so you want to have enough room. I mean, they can get three or four feet tall and three to six feet across. Um, so, you probably don't want them in your little raised bed square foot garden box because they'll take you over. Um, but, yeah, you can plant them, you know, as a, as a screening, as a hedge, as a, you know, border maybe to your garden.
0: Now, will those last all year long or two or, or multiple years? Then keep producing they can do the multiple years. They will die down. The top will
1: die down when it gets hot. And, it's, you know, the way you generally plant artichokes, you might find some started. But they're started from the roots, so they divide the roots and plant roots for artichokes. Um, so potentially, yes, you could have some that might live several years.
0: And how often will they produce a flower, or fruit? Is that an annual? Do you get that one time a year? Or will plant well, get, no, yeah? through
1: the seed. I mean, it, it'll it'll last. It's just not a one-time deal. So they're flowering. So, you know, till it gets hot, I mean, they can put on lots of buds uh, which is what you harvest again so you know it's hard to say it depends on how the size of the plant conditions as to how many you'll get but you will get you know you won't get like five and that's it you might get one and then three and then two and then you know that sort of thing
0: and what's the most unusual plant you've ever had success with here in the desert that people wouldn't think of
1: you know what is kind of a cool plant to plant? is Jerusalem artichokes. Again, it's a, it's a root. Um, it does very well here. It's kind of in the sunflower family. Um, and you harvest the roots. And it you ever eaten Jerusalem artichokes? I haven't. You just, you know, they got real popular in the 80s maybe. I don't know. But So you slice them up and then you dip them in ranch or something like that. That's the way, you know them, But it's I kind of a crunchy. You could cut them up and use them like uh, um, water chestnuts in a salad, something like give your salad some crunch, that sort of thing. So I think that's kind of an unusual one for in the winter.
0: I don't know that I've ever heard of a Jerusalem artichoke. <laughs> I don't know
1: why they're even called an artichoke because they don't look anything like it. If you would let them flower, the flower would look actually like a, like a sunflower. Um, so,
0: And you don't eat that part. You eat the root. Correct. Interesting. I'll have to check those out. Maybe something new to try. Because we do try and experiment with something we haven't planted yeah. before. Just each year. just What's our new? Let's needs try kinda loose, it needs kind of loose, as you
1: can imagine, with any root or tuber type crop. It needs good, loose, deep, loose soil to
0: do well. A lot of people have gone to just, instead of trying to till in ground gardening, just build up and do raised gardening right. square foot gardening those take a little bit more water because uh, it's a little bit easier to drain out uh is there anything else people need to be aware of when trying to get you know in a, a, a box garden a square foot garden type concept going well probably probably be careful how much
1: stuff you put in. i mean i think people tend to overplant them and put too many things in there um You know, plant what you like to eat. Um, So don't don't plant something just because it's time to plant it. But if you don't like broccoli or Brussels sprouts, don't plant them. (laughs) Because sure enough, you'll get a bumper crop.
0: Yeah, whatever you, that'll be the most dominant thing in your garden. So so I think
1: planning out the layout of your garden, I think, is the most important thing. So you don't have something getting smothered a smaller plant getting smothered by a bigger plant make sure it's got plenty of room so
0: you can so you can also get in and harvest and before you set your garden bed down you know your raised bed down uh, anything to put down there to keep gophers from burrowing up or grasses from coming up weeds from coming up under the bottom or will that uh, bag soil that you bring in keep all that out well it won't and I don't know that you can keep go I mean
1: I've seen gophers go through chicken wire I you know <laughs> if you've got gophers in the area you might want to attack that problem before or find a different spot for your garden but a a good like a weed fabric type cloth will do a couple of things it will keep a lot of the weeds and grasses from coming up although if your garden is deep enough just that much stuff on top of it will keep a lot of it from coming up. But the other thing it does is it'll also keep your soil from washing out through the bottom. You know, they, it's a, you'd be surprised how much of that soil can, can actually translocate or get flushed out underneath the wall of that garden and end up, you know, outside the garden wall. So the, the fabric will help with that as well. The other thing is, if I, I like deep gardens because I like my garden up as high off the ground as I can so I don't have to bend over or get down low. But you don't need that much soil to grow in. So you can fill the first well, depending on how deep your garden box is, you know, you need let's say you need 10 or 12 inches of soil on top, you can fill the rest of that underneath with, oh heck, I've used cardboard, packing, you know, the little styrofoam, packing peanuts, um, just old cruddy soil, rock. You probably want something for drainage at the very bottom, rocks or something. You don't want, if you put cloth down or something like that and you just put native soil on top of that, you can, it can form a barrier. It'll seal off to where you really inhibit your drainage. You don't want to do that.
0: Because ultimately, that'll start affecting your roots. In the right water, the whole thing will just turn into a big old <laughs> swamp.
1: You know, um, I've had big pots do that where the pot, the hole in the pot, gets sealed off, and eventually you go out there one day and your pot's full of water. You know, it just has no drainage, so you don't want that to happen.
0: And container gardening, you know, they've come a long way, and there's a lot more. Applications like you've got the tower gardens that you can roll around, you've got aquaponics, you've yeah. got vertical gardening. There's you know, for any st- style of living area you're in, whatever every kind of space you have, uh, patio gardening, you know, it's not just limited to people that have room in a yard to put it together. Absolutely, and, and as you see more and more and more.
1: High-rise type living as we become more there's a lot a lot of those now, um, you know you have to and if you want a garden or flowers or whatever you're going to have to grow them in some type of container, and you know there's virtually probably nothing you can't grow in a container as long as the container is big enough, you know to hold that plant, um, you just have to deal with the drainage. So if you're sitting on a patio or something you got to catch the You know, the water, it's got to go somewhere. Um, But that can be achieved with trays or saucers or, you know, some type of apparatus to to do that. And you don't want the plants sitting in, you know, water all the time either. So just make sure that you use a big enough pot. That's that's the only thing I would tell people. People, if we're talking about actual, like, pot gardening as opposed to a, a raised bed gardening, I think the tendency is sometimes to use too small a pot talked about watering as it gets warmer they're hard to keep watered the small the bigger the pot the easier it is to keep it watered
0: another beautiful fall morning here at rosie on the house wrapping up our outdoor living hour with jay harper and you know we've talked about overseeding we've talked about uh vegetable gardening uh but we have plenty of fall color flower gardening that uh, we can bring to our home and our front yards and our uh, curb appeal and just overall enjoyment that's one thing that Amanda always just enjoys is just repot once in the fall once in the spring yep even
1: if it's just one or two pots by the front door just to kind of let you know summer's over (laughs) you know the list that we plant for winter flowers if you're from someplace in the midwest or north of here it's it's what you planted in the summer there pansies and petunias and geraniums and alyssum and, and those sorts of things. And, and it, it's pretty endless almost as to what that is. Um, whether you have a flower bed, you know, where you have actual in-ground areas designated for your annuals or, you know, winter flowers and or summer flowers, or you have big containers or pots or that sort of thing, um, that's, that's the kind of stuff we're planting now, you know, and so... Yeah, it, it just makes a big difference. You know, summer can get kind of dreary, kind of like winter can get dreary. Some places in the country, I think our summer gets dreary. You know, the sun's out, it's
0: dreary. <laughs> a
1: different type of dreary, yeah. an Arizona dreary. So now you've got a lot of variety, and variety is the spice of life, right? So you get, you get to kind of spice things up by having lots of different kinds of color.
0: Now, when we are at the nursery... We've got gardening soil, but then they've also got potting soil. Is there a big difference between the two?
1: Well, typically, gardening soil would be something you would blend with native soil. If you were doing a, you know, a flower bed in ground, you would you would be tilling or mixing that into the, to the native earth. Potting soil is meant just for that to put in a pot, or a container, or a raised planter. So it. Most of the time, we don't want to use any native soils in our containers. As I mentioned with the raised bed garden, it it can pack, you lose your drainage, and frankly, you just lose the whole benefit of having a really nice potting or growing medium to grow things in
0: once you start adding native soil to it. So pay attention. Get the potting soil. Yeah, get, get, pot yeah and
1: there's all different kinds of you know, they make actually raised garden bed soil as opposed to potting it's a potting soil. I mean, frankly, it might have a little more variety of stuff in it, but it it it's a what we call a soilless mix. So it doesn't have any earth in it. It's got peat moss and perlite and maybe compost and you know, coconut core and things like that in it, but it has no native soil in it.
0: We're planting these, what's our life expectancy for a lot of these? I mean, you're, you're planting them knowing it's just kind of like your they rye are, lawn. It's, they it's are winter-
1: annuals, and the definition of an annual is it lives its whole life cycle in one season, one annual of time. So depending on, it really depends on the weather. So if we have like this last year you know everybody thinks about july how hot and nasty it was but may and june were fabulous so if we have a great May and you can get geraniums for instance to go clear into july not saying you should because they, they'll start kind of looking a little rough but you know if you plant now you're going to get you know november december january february march april may seven months just just say of of Beautiful
0: color, and this is outside. There's a couple really unique uh, plants for Arizona that you can bring inside. You got your Christmas cactuses. Uh, poinsettias are pretty popular. Some people are like, oh no, those are poisonous. But we always had them in the house. You got to eat an awful lot of it to be poisoned
1: by it, and it's pretty nasty. You know, it's got a white sticky sap, which is an irritant. You don't want to get it in your eyes or, you're, you know. Sensitive parts of your body. But there's a lot of things, boy. I mean, heck, Lantana's poisonous and it's everywhere. <laughs> well, the, the seeds on it are anyway. Tomato, the plant of a tomato plant is poisonous. So there's lots of things in the garden, in our landscape, that are poisonous. Yeah, I wouldn't be worried too much about having one poinsettia plant in your house.
0: Yeah, and like you said, eating it. We even had a conversation, I think it was just last weekend, about somebody with oleanders. And i had to get rid of them because they're poisonous well are you out there eating them i mean they taste awful <laughs> i've tried it have you tried it yeah well we grew up with three yeah. of our oh sure you know, with kids running around and that was our fort that it wasn't intentional but i i ended up with plenty of it in my mouth yeah. we would even take the leaf on the new growth and you could peel it and it would take the bark off and you could make rope well, all that sticky stuff yeah. gets all over your fingers and it ends up in your mouth and you know, I mean, it, it, it tastes awful. Who's you have to sit out there and intentionally eat it, to, and a lot yeah, of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it'd be pretty hard. Um, but uh, you know, I, I hey, if you if you got a dog that's just a chewer and loves to eat, you know, then maybe maybe so. But I don't think too many people. I don't know of anybody that's ever been poisoned by oleander that intentionally just ate oleander. <laughs> they they. Used the stick like you did for a tool or something and it got absorbed into something or they got poked in the eye and some of it went in their eye horses that are fed on the ground with hay flakes of hay and there was oleander leaves on the ground and it got mixed in with the hay got sick that way but you know pretty penny ranch out in north scottsdale was there for many years and it was their riding arena was surrounded by oleanders so <laughs> you know what to tell you
0: yeah So, well, there's no shortage of great things available at your local nursery garden center. We try and direct you local, nothing against the big box stores, but a lot of times, you know, the Arizona is so unique, and they're ordering for the southwest zone, so they may end up with plants here that don't even grow or aren't really meant for our environment just because our terrain is so unique in the southwest. You know, find, find a local shop. There's no shortage of them. Arizona Nursery Association has a great list of them. Um, and they're they're very enjoyable. You know, you, something about a big box store you always feel hectic in it. You know, nursery it's a little less of an experience. Where down. a
1: nursery can be somewhat of an experience. So, and again, you can, you know, if you know what you're looking for and you're experienced and you know the plants and everything else, they've the the, uh, the box stores provide a tremendous service to the community for providing. Goods and services to the lawn and garden industry, but if you don't know what you do, you're new here. Um, got lots of questions. You
0: know, you might want to
1: visit your local garden center.
0: Jay Harper, multi generate fourth generational gardener, or third generation. I don't know when my family <laughs> when <it> started, started. gardening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> fourth generation. Arizona? In the business. Yeah. 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 Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us.